Fiction and reality. New stories, new ideas. Little Beth Entertainment. Hey everybody, welcome to the Model Rocket Show at themodelrocketshow.com. I am your host, The Rocket Noob, and this is episode five. We're talking to Gary Rosenfield of Aerotech and Quest Aerospace. And of course, most people listening to the show are familiar with Aerotech and Quest. And uh, if you're not, well, you're in for a real treat. Uh, what, what Aerotech mainly does is make uh, ammonium perchlorate composite propellants. Uh, those are composite motors uh, for anything from low to mid to high power rockets. And of course, Quest also makes kits and they also have their own line of small model rocket motors that are made of ammonium perchlorate composites uh, instead of black powder. And that means you can fly up to a D-sized engine in a model rocket that you would normally only be able to fly in A or B or C because it's 18 millimeters in diameter. Really exciting stuff, and we're starting in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Model Rocket Show, a podcast that is all about low- and mid-power model rockets, like the ones you buy at hobby stores and fly in a park. And now, here is your host, Daniel the Rocket Noob. Okay, folks, before we get into our interview with Gary Rosenfield, I just wanted to say one or two things about composite motors, which is what we're largely dealing with here on this episode of the Model Rocket Show. Some things that uh, we didn't quite touch on, uh, but which, if you're if you're not familiar with composite motors, are some interesting things about them. So, uh, Estes motors and uh, old Quest motors, uh, model most model rocket motors that people are familiar with are black powder propellant and composite motors. When we say composite, we're talking about ammonium perchlorate composite propellant. This is a chemical propellant that has got a, a lot more energy and uh, it's fascinating for a number of reasons. First of all, uh, it is, uh, it's, kind of the real stuff. You find ammonium perchlorate in things like the shuttle, uh, space shuttle rocket boosters, the solid rocket boosters strapped to the side of the space shuttle. Uh, a lot of sounding rockets use ammonium perchlorate. And so it just sort of gets this model rocket hobby one step closer to the real deal. Uh, you really don't find aerospace technology using black powder for propellant uh, at least not these days, maybe a few hundred years ago when they were just starting to experiment with rocketry. Uh, but by and large, it is, uh, it's ammonium perchlorate if it's not, if it's liquid propellant. Um, and uh, so that's really interesting. The motors are, uh, as I say, they're more energetic, and so you can get a, a, a larger total impulse into a smaller casing. So what's really fun about these Quest and some of these Aerotech motors that you can buy um, is that you can, in a rocket that was like normally built to fly ABC motors, you can fit a D in there. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that with Gary. Uh, the motors are a little bit different. Uh, if you've never used one, uh, the igniters are a lot different. They're not the short little Y-shaped piece of, of nichrome wire that you might be familiar with with Estes motors. Uh, a lot of times they're a lot longer, a few inches longer, a black or gray pyrogen tip, and that's because it is a little... It's a little difficult, more difficult to get that propellant lit than it is with black powder. But the rewards, it's got a big payoff. And uh, when you install a, an igniter into an AP motor, the usually, not always, but usually, you have to stick the, the igniter all the way into the motor. It has to go several inches in. There's usually a channel or a, a groove or a slot inside the propellant grain, and the igniter goes forward end of the motor, unless it's an end-burning motor, which there are some of those in composites, but they're not 
not very common. And, uh, you, you know, black powder motors are all end burners, so that's why you only have to stick that igniter in just a little tiny bit. Uh, the, uh, the igniter for a composite motor goes all the way to the end. And the interesting thing about it is uh, mo- almost always that igniter also touches the delay grain. And the way a black powder motor works is it burns from the end until the propellant roll goes out and that, that ignites a delay. A C65 motor, your, your motor's going to burn. And then once the motor burns out, it's going to set off this, this slow-burning charge of, of uh, a delay grain that's going to burn for five seconds. That's what the five means in C65, and that's going to then set off your ejection charge. Well, with a delay grain in a composite motor, usually what happens is the delay is burning right alongside the motor. So if you have a motor that burns for a second and a half and you have a six-second delay, what it's what's actually happening is the, the delay is burning for seven and a half seconds because it's going to burn through the the actual propellant charge the time that that takes to burn up and then it's going to burn for an additional six seconds after that or whatever the delay happens to be uh so there's some really interesting things they are different they're fun if you've never flown a composite motor we're going to talk a little bit about where you can get them uh, when we talk about our sponsor e-rockets uh in an upcoming segment uh so stick around all right here's gary rosenfield Today, we have with us Gary Rosenfield, who is the founder of Aerotech Consumer Aerospace and also now is in charge of Quest Aerospace. Now, a lot of people listen to the show. They know Aerotech. They know Quest. Uh, For those of you who don't, uh, one of the big things that Aerotech does and has done for many years is composite model rocket motors and high power motors. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what the difference is between composites and black powder motors. Um, they also do uh, kits, uh, and Quest uh, is a mo- is a model rocket company that also does kits and composite motors. So, uh, Gary, welcome to the Model Rocket Show. Thank you, Daniel. My pleasure to be on your show. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, Aerotech, which is the company that you've basically had for a lot longer, was founded in, was it eight, 1982? Is that right? Yep, that's, I would call that a good date because that was uh, the date of our first certified motors, which were the E6s. Can you talk to us a little bit about the background and history of Aerotech? Well, uh, my first company was called Composite Dynamics, and I started that back in the mid-70s. Um, in fact, I, I think the first time I ever represented it uh, to the industry was around 74 at Naram 16. And then uh, I brought in a couple of partners a few years after that. And uh, around 1979, 1980, um, I sold my interest in that partnership and uh, went to work for a company called Burmite. Uh, They were a division of the Whitaker Corporation located in Saugus, California, about, uh, I don't know, 20, 30 miles uh, northwest of Los Angeles. And um, when I was getting ready to leave, uh, composite dynamics of the partnership. Then um, there was a bunch of ideas I had, and uh, I was having a hard time, you know, getting them incorporated in some of the things we wanted to do. So um, when I got out of composite dynamics, I thought, well, I'll just, you know, maybe I'll start up another company and start using some of these some of these ideas I had. And one of them was uh, getting more into the end burning composite motors. John Davis, who was my who was the major partner in the company, had had brought out, I think he called it an E9. It was a little short 29 millimeter uh, end burning motor. But I thought we could do a whole lot more uh, than that. 
and uh, use different case materials and nozzle materials and, you know, just completely different designs that would be better suited uh, for both manufacturing and for the customer. So, um, you know, around that time, you know, I'm working for Burmite. I was learning a lot. And I started making some motors uh, in the closet of my apartment. And then, uh, you know, then I end up moving out to Palmdale and set up a little lab there. Um, and there was about 1981, I think. Um, I started making some, some G composites using uh, a moon-burning grain design, which is something that Bill Wood uh, had come up with, that, that, mo- that offset core. So the very first commercial motors that were that were introduced were those uh, G we call them G30s at the time. So that was kind of like the the fledgling Aerotech, and then um, then about 1982, I ended up accepting a job at Aerojet Tactical Systems, which was in Sacramento, California. And so I'm you know go up there, and I'm still doing R and D and and experimenting, and and uh, ended up. Uh, you know, getting to the point where we decided, all right, let's, let's make these, you know, what's, what's the motor that's going to be uh, most needed or, or, you know, really catch on would be, uh, you know, these end burning motors, uh, E6s and F10s. Uh, there was nothing on the market like them. And so, you know, just uh, no competition for it. So we introduced the first Aerotech product that way uh, with those two motors. So you, you, you sort of sounds like you got started with sort of longer burning stuff. Yeah, and that, that was my, I don't know if I call it fascination or obsession at the time, you know, with, uh, with making motors were the long burners because I had uh, done some of my own research on altitude performance and I found out through iterative computer modeling that... Uh, a, a rocket with a thrust to weight ratio about two to one would give you the highest altitude. Of course, you'd need something more to get it off the pad, but yeah, you know, just like an initial thrust spike and then and then cruise at two to one thrust ratio, you could double or or more your altitude uh, with the same impulse. So that was my interest, uh, and it's still my interest. Actually, I, I I'm most interested in in long burn motors, both personally and professionally. Um, yeah, pe- people love a long burn. So, you know, and then uh, I've been involved in this hamster dance competition for, well, basically since almost since it started, uh, since the second one. And uh, the last two entries I've had were both, you know, long burn motors and, and both of them won first place. Um, it was just an easy way to get high altitude with a pretty small rocket. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's pretty easy on the airframe, too. So that, that was another part of my interest was... Uh, these longer burn motors were easier to build around, right? You could use yeah. regular, even model rocket components and fly, you know, HIJ powered rockets um, without fiberglass, phenolic, all that stuff. Because you're so, not going to rip the fins off. Yeah, not going to rip the fins off. You're not going to fold the tubes. Um, yeah, both those hamster dance rockets were, were made out of Quest body tube, th- Quest 30 millimeter body tube, which is huh. pretty thin. Uh, I don't know, 20,000 thick or something. All right, I'm just going to break in here real quick. Uh, so Gary just made a reference to Hamster Dance, which is a competition he participates in. And uh, I, I actually asked him more questions about Hamster Dance, but I'm not going to include the answer in uh, this episode of the Model Rocket Show uh, because it's uh, it actually 
kind of veers outside of the realm of model rocketry and gets into what you would call amateur or experimental rocketry. Uh, it is a fascinating competition, but here on the Model Rocket Show, since we're mostly focused on on model rocketry, uh, we are sort of sticking with things that stay inside the Model Rocket Safety Code of the National Association of Rocketry uh, and and the hamster dance is something you, you need to be more of an expert in certain things. That said, it's fascinating, and Gary will be on an upcoming episode of The Rocketry Show sometime in the next few months, and maybe they will ask him about the hamster dance. And if that's the case, it is a fascinating topic. So uh, I just wanted to say that real quick. Uh, so let's get back into our interview with Gary Rosenfield. So uh, for, for those of our, our listeners who are not familiar with composite motors, can you tell us just, just a basic primer, what is composite propellant and how are composite motors different from your traditional black powder motors? Well, some people may not know this, but a black powder motor is technically a composite, which is just a, it's a heterogeneous mixture of ingredients, right? So uh, as opposed to a homogeneous mixture, such as a double base nitroglycerin, nitrocellulose uh, type of propellant, but, you know, tradition or in the popular uh, culture or popular rocketry lingo, Composites generally refer to ammonium perchlorate oxidizer and rubber uh, binder and and some kind of metal in there as well for fuel. But you know the binder is a fuel as well. Um, yeah. Where black powder is a compressed compressed mixture of of you know three ingredients: sulfur, charcoal, and and sodium. Uh, I'm sorry, potassium nitrate. So yeah, that's. So the base, the real difference between them is one is a pressed propellant, and the other one is a is a is a cast or poured propellant. Generally, although uh, some experimenters use, you know, a, what we call a packed propellant. And in fact, um, the very first commercial composites, which were called Enerjets, which were introduced by a guy named uh, Irv Waite back in the '60s, and then uh, that company was acquired by Century Engineering at Lee Pister. Uh, sometime in the late 60s and developed into the modern Enerjet brand, uh, those used a packed propellant. It was it was not pourable. It was kind of like Play-Doh and it had to be, you know, spooned or measured into the casings and then and then rammed in with some kind of a, a tool and yeah. then allowed to cure. So uh, but the but the current technology is is more uh, casting. So you you mix this propellant up. It's kind of like paint or kind of like uh uh, pancake batter, right? Maybe with yeah. some sand added to it. So it looks kind of coarse. And then it's poured into tubes or casings or, you know, there's various ways of, of, of getting it into the motor. Uh, a lot of times it's uh, it's cast into a, a paper tube or a plastic tube. It's cured and then it can be machined and cut to length. And then that is, you know, put inside a motor casing. So yeah, it's a, the composites are generally a plastic-based ammonium perchlorate oxidized. But, you know, nowadays, um, the, the industry started with ammonium perchlorate, but manufacturers have added other oxidizers, uh, such as, uh, you know, uh, strontium nitrate for red flames, uh, mm -hmm. barium nitrate for green flame. We call those co-oxidizers because yeah. very few people use those oxidizers exclusively. I, I, don't, I don't actually know anybody does, but I'm sure you could, but uh, most of the time, the predominant oxidizer is ammonium perchlorate. 
And of course, the really exciting thing about uh, AP ammonium perchlorate or composite motors over black powder motors is they're they're more energetic, uh, so you can get more. Um, you basically can get more bang for your buck with less with a lighter weight and smaller motor, right? Yeah, I mean, the, there's there are two things that make them more energetic. One is you know the heat of combustion is higher, and the average molecular weight of the exhaust products is lower. Those two things combine to create a higher ISP or specific impulse, which is just kind of like miles per gallon out of, out of fuel. Yeah, it's uh, And let me just give you a couple of numbers. I mean, black powders, ISP, and the way it's measured is you take the, to- the total impulse of a motor, let's say it's uh, 10 pound seconds, and then you mm. divide it by the weight of the propellant. Uh, let's just say if it's a tenth of a pound. So that would be what, an ISP of uh, 100? And it's, you know, when you do the math, it's, it's basically, it's, it's called seconds. That's just the, the terminology, yeah. seconds. And so black powder in reality, depending on the motor, will range from 60 to 80 seconds, roughly, okay, of, of, of specific impulse. Whereas a composite motor, even the worst ones are down around 140 seconds. And we'd be mm-hmm. talking about, you know, sparky, black smoke you know, really under-oxidized propellants. Uh, and then when you go up in, in the other direction, you know, hi- higher oxidized propellants, higher solids. That's a, when you talk about solids loading, you're talking about uh, the ratio of solid ingredients to liquid ingredients. Generally yeah. speaking, when you increase that, you increase the specific impulse because you're increasing the amount of oxygen available and so on. It's, it's very difficult to over-oxidize a propellant. Usually, most propellants are under-oxidized. So achieving high solids loading and what we call stoichiometry, which is a a mole-for-mole equivalent um, reaction where everything is oxidized and and there's no more energy to extract out of the the propellant, is very difficult, right? With a a composite solid propellant, you're talking about like 90% solids, and that's that's very difficult to achieve. Um, I've done 88 solids. And that's, that's tough. You can do it, but it takes a lot of tricks. Uh, 90, I'm sure it's been done, but you'd need some very special particle size control and other factors to, 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 to do that. So, so anyway, uh, composite propellant, if it's optimized, um, you can easily get over 200 seconds ISP. And in our case, we've managed to get well, in, in a commercial certified motor, we get 247 seconds out of the newly certified, what is it, the M, M2050, I believe it's called. Um, I know that you, talk, you want to talk about model rocks, but I'm just... No, just, that's uh, fine. No, this is, this, is, this is definitely interesting stuff. Okay. Um, but what, what you're saying is basically like the, the propellant, it's, uh, composite propellant is more efficient. At doing. It's much more efficient, yeah. So, yeah. So we're talking now. We're talking three to four times the potential power per ounce of propellant or per pound or whatever unit of measure you want to you want to yeah. use. So, yeah. I mean, you can. That's why with composite motors, you can get a D in a C size casing. And exactly. if you really want to yeah. push it, you could conceivably get a low F. Uh, really? That would take a lot of yeah. That would take a lot of engineering, but uh, yeah. Could conceivably get a low a low E is easily possible. Yeah. Um, in fact, we've done it. Uh, we we did it with uh, we had a reload 
uh, for the 18 millimeter hardware. That was, I think it was an E27. I don't think wow. we're currently selling that. I, I don't, I'm not sure why we dropped it probably because it just didn't sell well, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you can, you can easily get a low E and, 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 and go higher, but, and then you get a, a, an E and, and an F in a 24 millimeter D casing, right? D black power yeah. case. So yeah, that's why you've got all this power and these people look at it and they say, wow, you know, is that real? Is that, is that just yeah, marketing well, hype? <laughs> I mean, gosh, I, I remember the one, I remember the first time I flew uh, a, just a little Aerotech E something or other uh, in a 24 millimeter. It was the size of a, just an Estes D engine. Uh, and it just zipped off the pad. And it was, it was way more, it was way zippier than I was expecting. Yeah. Um, and it was, uh, it just disappeared. <laughs> it just disappeared. I thought this is, these are pretty cool. Um, well, most, most people who see composite motors for the first time are just blown away. Um, you know, I, yeah. up until the early 70s, uh, I had only seen black powder motors. So when my brother and I got a, got to go to Las Vegas with my parents and we picked up some Enerjets in Las Vegas at a hobby store and brought them back and started flying them out at Lucerne Dry Lake, I mean, we were blown away. It was just to see that thing just take off like, as I've said before, like something out of a, out of a, a Roadrunner cartoon. You know, where it's yeah. there and it just disappears, it's gone, there's a little puff of smoke and you don't know where it went. So it's just, uh, it's just awesome. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you specifically about uh, Q-Jets. Uh, you acquired uh, Quest Aerospace uh, a number of years ago. And um, Quest was, they used to make um, uh, black powder motors, just like Estes motors, you know, uh, in, in little paper tubes. And then, uh, we know there was there were some issues with uh, getting some motors out of China after there was a there was a an accident in a port. Um, and but because you had had all this experience with uh, composite motors, you decided to make the Q jets. Do you want to talk about a little bit about those? Yeah, I, I, it was shortly after we acquired the company that uh, Bill Stein had challenged me to make a a composite A motor because of potential issues. You know, getting more black powder motors from China and and as it turned out, the prices just went through the roof. Yeah, I knew we could do better than that. So at first, I thought he was nuts. And then... Uh, yeah, so had that never I, been done before? No, I mean, not... I don't know. There, there used to be a company called Canarock. I don't know if they had uh, an A motor, but... And they used some, some different technology. I, I was thinking of using, you know, what we were using, our technology, not developing something entirely new, but trying to wed... Um, you know, the, the existing composite technology with, with something possibly with a little bit of black powder technology, which ended up being the nozzle uh, design. And then we had to throw in something brand new, which was the, you know, the thermoplastic casing and try to make that work. So, I mean, literally that project took somewhere between four and a half and five years before we had, you know, the product that you have now. Um, yeah, I remember a few years ago at Narcon, you mentioned that developing Q-Jets was one of the hardest uh, motor projects you'd taken on. I think you said something about it being harder than developing larger high-power motors. Yeah, I'd put it right up there with, with developing our O-Motor, which took about the same amount of time. Yeah. Um, the thing about the O-Motor was they're so expensive to make and take so long and, you know, the planning to go into firing them and, and, and you know, doing your... Uh, data analysis and, and looking at the motor and seeing, you know, what needs to be improved or changed. 
that's a that's a ponderous process. Whereas the the Q jets were, you know, you're using two to five gram, ten gram grains, and you can you can iterate it much faster. And the cost is not you know not quite as much to do a not even close to do a, a static firing right. But you know it's it's just not you can't design these things completely analytically. You you do some of that. It's a blend of anal- analysis and uh, and also art and uh, you know material science and and just trying to figure out you know how you solve all these different problems you encounter as you as you develop the motor. And in the meantime, you know we're left without a motor supply for several years. <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of us at the time were wondering what, you know, what's, what's up with the, the quest motors, you know, I had just gotten into the hobby, I think when this started and I kept hearing about these Q2 G2s and, uh, I, I think I, I got my hands on, on a, a few of them. Uh, and I just kept checking the website, kept checking the website and just, I just didn't know what was going on. Um, but then we heard about you know, the, we want, uh, nobody wanted those Q2 G2s more than we did. <laughs> uh, and, and when we did not want to, uh, the problem was the company did not want to sell us the igniters separate from the motors. Yeah. And then, um, a- and then right about that time when we were, you know, just really trying to, to get them, uh, there was that explosion in that port and that just, that put the kibosh on getting anything hazmat out of China. Um, so I, we still have some back channels. Uh, inquiries going to try to get some more of those igniters and uh, you know if we can we will but right now um yeah i think we just have a few packs left in the shop <laughs> well i know high power rocketeers really like them because uh because they're they're, they're basically a little e-match and they're really good for doing dual deployment um but right. you know your model rocketeers one of the things we uh, we liked about them was they're they're really reliable for doing black powder clusters but uh, but yeah, the the new Q the Q jets are awesome motors and uh, surprising motors. And so far, the ones you have are the they're the black smoky motors, the fast blackjack and the blackjack uh, the black max. But you right. recently announced you're coming out with uh, white white motors, white lightning motors uh, for Q jets. And can you just tell us for those of us who who are not familiar, what's the difference between a blackjack motor and a white lightning motor? And 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 why why would we have why would you want to try two different kinds? Well, the reason we use black max propellant, which is fast also called fast blackjack, uh, was because it's very easy to ignite and it has a fast burn rate. And we were able to and, and it's cooler burning, okay? So we wanted you know minimal thermal uh, effects on the case and on the nozzle. Because you know we had a higher temperature propellant, or we we, were, we could have used higher temperature propellants than black powder, and uh, the effect on the on the ceramic or clay nozzle was unknown. It was well, it was ex- I had some experience in the past, and uh, some some of those propellants are pretty hard on clay nozzles. So I yeah. wanted to ensure the maximum success. So we used the cooler burning propellant, fast fast burning, and the reason for that was. Uh, there's a like a minimum nozzle throat diameter that we could have and still get a, a decent igniter in without you know risking breaking it up trying to get it in there and yeah so if you use like regular white lightning or black jack the slow stuff or maybe some of the other propellants they wouldn't burn fast enough to give a, to allow us to open that nozzle up because you know with composites 
not so much with black powder, but with, with composite motors, uh, if you go too large on a nozzle throat, you'll get what's called chuffing, which is an un, kind of a form of unstable combustion. We don't want that. So we were trying to avoid that, uh, you know, have the igniter be able to fit through the nozzle and also keep the temperature down so uh, the casing wouldn't melt and so on and so forth. So uh, that was the reason for going with the blackjack. And, and we were able to successfully get A, B, C, and D motors out of it. Uh, I'll albeit the D is, you know, was pretty low impulse, about 12 point something Newton second. Uh, but they're, like you said, I think they're, they're very zippy motors and uh, high thrust. Um, but one of, the, one of the issues with that propellant is it's, it's not very loud and there's no flame. There's no visual other than the black smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a gentle hiss, I would say, except maybe when you get to the C's and the D's are a little bit louder. So we found out, you know, through through the market that some people don't like, you know, are not impressed with that. Uh, they think or they feel that a, a black powder motor is, you know, is more pleasing from the audio, audible and visual perspective. And and but some others don't agree with that. You know, it's rocketry is very subjective. Oh uh, yeah, not one size fits all. No, it's and that's why you've got, you know. <laughs> 10 or 12 different propellants and all these different sizes and shapes of motors. And it's like, everybody wants to express themselves in, you know, in rocketry, which is fine. I mean, that, that it's, that makes it a great hobby. So, you know, when I, when I started hearing some of this feedback, I thought, well, you know, yeah, they're right. It, they're not as loud as some of the other motors and there is no flame. Um, they do a good job of propulsion, but you know, in this industry, it, it really is for a, a a lot of customers, fire, smoke, and noise is the thing, right? Yeah. So I thought, well, let's let's see if we can get a white lightning motor to work. And and we had this this old formulation, which I called fast white lightning, which burns about the same rate as fast blackjack. And we hadn't used it in hobby rocketry for years. I mean, the last motor I think we we made with that was was a fast white lightning G80. And that was just one of those motors that we didn't get around to bringing, bringing back. I mean, you know, we've got, I don't know, six or 700 different products on our price list. So sometimes it's hard to determine what to bring back or not. But, you know, when yeah. I thought about doing a white lightning Q-Jet, I, I felt that uh, the nozzle would have to be too small for regular white lightning. So we'd need the fast repellent. And uh, so we made up some, some fast white in the, in the cartridge size that the Q-Jet uses. And, and we made some motors, and sure enough, I mean they they're louder, and they've got a they've got a nice exhaust plume, and you know maybe the only down downstroke on them is that uh, the burn time is relatively short, but that's going to be the case, you know, when you're running these things at a some kind of minimal pressure that allows the, the combustion to be stable, and 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 with you know when you when you figure in all the factors that need to work, the throat size, you know, the thrust level, the size of the grain. I mean, the, on an A motor or a B motor, the grain is only about five-eighths of an inch long. So it's very small. There's not a lot of surface area there. Making the A motor, even in Black Max, was a challenge because, you know, with that short of a grain, it's hard to get the amount of surface area you need for a decent nozzle throat. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was one of the big challenges on that one, was to uh, increase the surface area on the A grain so that uh, we could still you know, keep the same 
minimum throat, which is 90 thousandths of an inch. That's what we've, what we've determined to be the minimum for us. So, but the white, the white lightning, um, again, was to try to create something that's more interesting, uh, and, uh, you know, more competitive with the black powder motor in terms of the audio visual effect. Now, do you know when those white lightning motors might be available? I don't want to give a, a hard date, but okay. uh, the samples have been submitted to uh, Tripoli Motor Testing for certification. I would give them a few weeks. Uh, it's possible they could be certified in a few weeks. And then, uh, I mean, really, we're using the same casing and, and delays and bulkheads. And it's just a matter of making new propellant grains uh, for those. But we do have to create new graphics, and that takes a little bit of time. But we're we're working on that, you know, as a parallel project. So I think um, possibly uh, early fall release, but don't hold me to it. Oh, I won't hold you to it. <laughs> we're just <laughs> I know whenever there's a new a new motor out coming out or new a new batch of motors, people get excited. So I think yeah. I would be remiss if I didn't at least ask the question. Uh, oh, no, I kind of knew. Course. I kind of knew it was kind of not not <laughs> not going to be written in stone. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right, it's time to talk about our sponsor, eRockets.biz, your home for unique model rocket kits, as well as the world's largest selection of model rocket parts from Semrock. They've been in business since 2009, and eRockets doesn't just stock many of your favorite in-production kits. They also produce their own versions of popular out-of-production models many of you have come to enjoy over the years. And since we are talking about Aerotech and Quest, let me tell you about these motors you can get. If you've never tried Q-Jets, these are the Quest motors Produced by Quest and Aerotech. These are the composite motors we've been talking about. And they come in A's, B's, C's, and D's. But those are all 18 millimeter diameter motors. Which means uh, a motor um, you could fit a D motor into a rocket that normally would only be able to fly up to a C. Uh, and this is pretty cool. These uh, these are all have the fast blackjack propellant. Which means they produce a nice thick black smoke. Which is a lot of fun to watch. These motors come in A, B, C, and D. That's A3, B4, C12, and D16s. That's some, those are some zippy motors, especially those uh, C and D motors. Uh, they're really interesting. They're fun to watch. They're fun to fly. Uh, just watch the rocket just take off. While you're at it, why don't you go check out their selection of Aerotech motors as well. They have single-use motors, and they have reloadable motors, and not just reloadable motors for the big ones. They have reloadable casings and motors for 18-millimeter motors, and so that means you can get yourself a, a D13 motor that will fit into the 18 millimeter motor casing and a D24. That's a couple of Ds. There you have a, a whole selection of D motors you can put into a smaller rocket with Quest and Aerotech. But you can also find motors single use and reloadables for your uh, rockets that go up to 29 millimeter. So whether you're flying low power or mid power, with Quest and Aerotech motors, eRockets.biz has got you covered. There are also plenty of other new and reissue model rocket kits to choose from. eRockets.biz has enough kits to keep you busy building rockets for a long time to come. So check out eRockets.biz today to learn more. eRockets.biz. If rocketry scares you, buy a train set. Daniel loves your model rocket questions. If you have any, send them to noob at themodelrocketshow.com. That's N-0-0-B at themodelrocketshow.com. Now, back to Daniel. 
All right, let's get back to our chat with Gary. Uh, is there anything particular that you're excited about? You want you, you mentioned before we were recording, uh, you mentioned Enerjet. As you may or may not know, um, we are starting to rebrand all the all the uh, mid-power 24, 29 millimeter uh, single-use motors as Enerjet by Aerotech. We've had some input as to some people would like Enerjets to be like the originals, which the number of people that remember that are growing, you know, smaller every day. But uh, we are working on something like that. We're working on what what we call Enerjet Classic. All right. Yeah. And we're not going to go back and use you know Flexane sixty binder, which is what they used. Uh, but we've we've come up with a couple of different formulations that fairly closely mimic the Enerjet uh, exhaust plume and the you know complete lack of smoke. And actually kind of a pale flame. So, you know, kind of gives you that magic liftoff where it mm-hmm. looks like it's almost, uh, there's, there's nothing propelling it. Just, you just hear the noise. So, uh, yeah, I think we're, we're going to try to get, uh, bring out some Enerjet classic motors, maybe just one or two. We're not going to, we're not going to do, you know, a large number of them. That's going to be a challenge because uh, you're, you're kind of, I mean, I don't know if you have any old Enerjet motors, but you, you, I would imagine you're kind of working from memory there as to what those were like and trying to come up with something similar. Is that, is that true or, is that, or, or do you have information and data to go off of? Oh, I've got some information and data. I, I was, as I've said before, I was probably one of their biggest fans. So um, I remember them well. I was uh, communicating with the people that knew the formula of the propellant and even, uh, you know, Ed Brown, who I knew going back into the seventies after Estes had acquired Century, they had a, a bunch of materials left over that, you know, after they dropped the line that they weren't using anymore. So I actually, he actually gave me a big box of materials. I don't have those any, well, I've only got a few samples left, but you know, I, I, I knew pretty intimately how they were made, you know, obviously fired a lot of them and remember them well. So, I mean, when we bring out the motor, it'll, it'll be very similar to an Enerjet. I mean, it can't be identical because we're using plastic nozzles and a different casing, but you know, the spirit of Enerjet, let's put it that way. But I also like to think that Enerjet, if it had continued in business, would not have just remained the same. You wouldn't, you know, if Enerjet was still in business now, I seriously doubt they'd still be making smokeless motors. I mean, they right. would have, you know, from a marketing point of view, they would have recognized that, that the market wanted effects, effects motors, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I, I have no doubt whatsoever uh, Enerjet would have uh, had a, a, a broad line of product with different flame effects and smoke effects. And so I like, in a lot of ways, I like to think that Aerotech is sort of what Enerjet would have turned into. Whether well, Aerotech certainly that. has a lot of different a lot of different flavors for a lot of different tastes, basically. Well, Enerjet was my one of my big inspirations. Yeah, so I tried to you know take that where they ended off and just go from there. So you you founded Aerotech in 1982, and and you talked a little bit about your past, but what what made you want to get into the hobby rocketry business in the first place? Well, that's a good question. I mean. When I was young, I, I didn't think that I could make, you know, hobby rocketry a career. It was a hobby. I had no idea how to turn it into a business until 
you know, I made my first motor, which was around, which was in uh, the fall of 73. Uh, that was about the time when Enerjet was starting to wind down. And I realized that there was a uh, market opportunity there. So at that point, I figured, well, you know, maybe I could create some kind of business to do this. But, you know, the pathway wasn't clear. It wasn't something that I could say, you know, six months from now, a year from now, okay, I'll have this business and it'll be able to support me and all that. So I ended up going into the Air Force uh, and uh, you know, I had other jobs as well. But when you start just gathering knowledge and information, eventually, you know, you, you can see the, pa- the path becomes clearer. So after working at, at Burmite, working at Aerojet, you know, and having some of these ideas on, on what I wanted to do and after getting out of composite dynamics, which, you know, never provided a full-time income. Um, that was one of the reasons why I went, went to work for Burmite because I, I was running out of savings. But after all that experience, you know, it, 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 the pathway started becoming clear on how to do this. So the, the actual catalyst was, as I already related, around 1982, we started making small batches of these E6 and F10 motors. And those were a big hit. So with that, that was able to generate enough income that after a short time, it was like a year or two, I figured that I was able to quit my job at Aerojet and, uh, and start and do Aerotech full time. But to do it, uh, I had to, you know, my, my income had to drop about halfway, but I could see the growth, right? It was over a period of months or whatever it was, I could see that if I pursued this and continued it, it was going to grow bigger and bigger. And so the, the, uh, the stress level of leaving my job wasn't as great as, it, as, as now I look back thinking maybe, maybe I should have been more stressed. <laughs> but you know, when you're young, you, <laughs> you think differently. Oh, so, that's the time to do that kind of stuff yeah, and take those yeah, kinds of risks, you know, 20. and you know, you know, you don't, you don't create something new uh, without taking those kinds of risks, I think. Right. So, right. you know, and it, it seems to have turned out well. Uh, yeah. So. I mean, back then there was, I mean, the market was really small. I mean, if you, you sold 40 motors or whatever, it, that was a, that was a huge win, right? Yeah. It was like the batches I was making were 40 at a time. So, uh, I don't know, they were 10 bucks each. So roughly, so 400 bucks, uh, if you could do that once a week, you could, you had a little business. Yeah. Um, that's not bad at all. Yeah. And what led you to uh, acquire Quest in uh, was it 2013 something around the, around then? Well, Bill Stein had approached me several years before the the, the actual acquisition, um, and we talked about doing a deal. He came up and visited us. You know, I've known Bill since he was a kid. I mean, since he was probably eight years old. Well, not that, maybe twelve. Uh, I think I first met him at Narum fourteen, but. Uh, you know, so we've we've been in touch many you know many times, many years, and uh, he came up and saw our operation, and we talked about. I can't remember whether it was a merger or we would acquire him or what it, what it was, but uh, for whatever reason, it didn't happen. So you know, fast forward, I don't know, five six years later, uh, Bill approaches me again. We came to a, an agreement. We basically acquired. It was a. a uh, entire acquisition of Quest by RCS Rocket Motor Components. Do you have any kits in development that you want to talk about, whether it's uh, Quest kits or Aerotech kits? Well, 
we brought out the the mega initiator and that is being that's pretty popular it's expensive we would like to bring out some kits that aren't so expensive and we're, we're working on that i think the upscale market is there uh, there's a few other aerotech kits that we'd like to upscale like the like the arrow possibly the mustang maybe even the uh, strong arm i don't know there's a few uh, i think that would be very popular on the quest side there are a number of discontinued kits that would be fairly easy to bring back, and we're working on that. And yes, we are working on establishing the infrastructure or the we've got to uh, grow the assets and and the uh, the tools and the materials that we need to bring out a regular kit line. So we're, where we're refreshing the line every year with a certain number of kits. So we're yeah. kind of working on that that infrastructure, if you will. And there's just so many different projects we're working on. A big part of the company right now is responding to uh, military, commercial, and industrial uh, customers, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of energy being put into that. It's not, ex- you know, certainly not an exclusive part of our business whatsoever. It's a, it's a, it's a smaller part of our business. The hobby rocket business is the bread and butter of our business, whereas the, you know, the other stuff is is like icing on the cake, but it's important. Yeah. Because it really does help pay the bills. Um, you know, it's higher margin work, generally speaking. So um, it's important to us. But uh, where we can, we are we are working on bringing back some some discontinued kits and also working on new kits and possibly some some upscales, right? But yeah, you know, kits are not our strongest suit. The motor motor technology is our is our core competency. But you know, we'd like to establish. Uh, some competency in the kit area as well. And we're, you know, we're leveraging some partnerships with other people in the industry to make that happen as well. Well, Aerotech has some mid-power kits that I quite like. And the nice thing about them is that they go together quite well. Um, I I really like the, I really like the way the fins fit together uh, with the, with the airframe. I like the fact that a lot of the fins are already pre-shaped and yeah. don't they don't need any any filler because they're not made out of wood, um, so that's really quite nice. I've got a few uh, a few uh, Aerotech kits on the build pile that I'm I'm really looking forward to building, and I've got a few. I'm also I also got some Quest rockets that I've I've built that I really love. Aerotech kits are definitely if you've never built an Aerotech kit, you should you should you should definitely look at them because they're uh, there's some really cool ones. I've I myself have. Uh, on the build pile, and I, I haven't decided which to start first. Uh, the HV Arcus, the Aero B High, which is a s- sort of a sort of a, a fantasy scale sounding rocket, and then the Strong Arm, which is a pretty cool looking rocket. Um, yeah, uh, those are those are nice, and I, I really like I I like the quality of the kits, and I like the the they're they're nice looking rockets without being super difficult or or anything like that. And uh, right. so I re- I really do enjoy those. Um, well, when we uh, when we decided to design the Aerotech kits back in the you know we started in the in the late '80s, we just looked at the current type of rockets that were available, and we just asked ourselves, well, what could we improve in all these different areas, like fin attachment, fin shaping, motor mounting, protecting the parachute, mm-hmm. and uh, you know you can kind of see a lot of those incorporated in the design, like the fin lock system. The, labor, the labyrinth uh, ejection system, um, the, fin, the molded fins. And by the way, the molded fins uh, became a reality because we had a hard time at the time getting 
cut plywood fins. It was yeah. just at the time it was just really difficult. Otherwise, we would have gone probably with with plywood fins because the cost of the molds was high to get those plastic fins made. But you know, after we did it, we were pretty happy that we did. But and then, uh, as you know, we've we've made some improvements over the years to the kits, like the uh, uh, we have that uh, motor retainer. The, the motor retainer is great. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, also the uh, the rail guides. That's another improvement. Yeah. But, that's know, nice. Because a lot of a lot of rocket companies still still just provide you with lugs. But, you know, a lot of clubs these days, you might not have a, a, a launch rod that's big enough for some of these rockets. Um, so right. Everybody's rail guides, going to rails now. Yeah. Everybody's going to rails. Even Tark is going to rails. So yeah. it's kind of nice to have that, you know, that... You don't have something you don't something you don't have to buy separately from the rocket if you want to modify it. Um, you know, you can build it you can build it to fly off of what you have or what you have available through your club. I like that. I like that a lot. This might be kind of a dumb question, Gary. I don't know. Uh, but uh do you have a favorite motor to fly? <laughs> um well, I personally I haven't been flying most of the stuff that I fly is some of the custom stuff that I do. But I, yeah. I I do have some favorite motors. I really like the F67. That's one of my favorite motors. It was mm-hmm. one of my favorite motors to design. Yeah, I like the name. It's an old Enerjet, an old Enerjet uh, designation, Enerjet F67. And then if you notice, we kind of did a little retro look with the label for those that are familiar with Enerjets. They'll they would recognize the pattern on the end of the end of the label. But that uses you know, our super white lightning propellant, which was, it's one of those, you know, high, high solids, highly tweaked formulas that, that generates a high specific impulse. So that motor, along with the, uh, I think it was the F44 and the G74, were part of what we formerly called the uh, Economax line. And the, the, the design philosophy for that line of motors was, can we, let's make the maximum total power in each, in whatever casing size we're putting it in, right? So that was the case with the F44, which was in the 24 millimeter by 70 millimeter case, which is the same size as a, as a black powder D motor, right? So you have a a low F in a D casing. And then the G74, which we put in the smallest 29 millimeter case, which until then the biggest motor we had was a, I don't know, was it maybe the F42 or something like that with that had, you know, in the mid 50 Newton second range. So we were able to put push it up over 80. So those, I like those type of projects where you're, you know, you're challenging the laws of physics and trying to, you know, that that's my personal interest is trying to optimize performance in, in a given size or what have you. Now the F67 came about because not that it's the most power in that particular casing, but it was the most power we could get out of 30 grams of propellant, which is the limit for shipping uh, via parcel post uh, US Postal Service, which is important because there's no hazmat fee like there is with UPS or FedEx, right? Yeah, that hazmat fee is something that, especially when you first start flying those or first start trying to order them, you, you suddenly find out there's this fee that you have to pay. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, that's so that's keeping that's it below 30 grams is good. Yeah, that showcases another advantage of composite propellant in that if you're limited to propellant weight, the higher the specific impulse, the better, right? You can get a bigger motor. Right. Yeah. So with 30 grams, I think you're lucky to get a full D with a with a black powder motor. I think the, 
the black powder D motors are around what 25 grams. So, and they're not full D's. I think if you had 30 grams, right. you might be, you know, probably close to a full D. But with 30 grams of composite propellant, especially one with a high ISP, you can get a low F. So actually, it's a mid-range F. It's it's like equivalent to three D motors. Yeah. So that, that's that's one of my favorite motors, the F67. I think in the marketplace, that's that's become a very popular motor as well. It's an impressive motor. Yeah, I've seen those. Very punchy, um, nice flame. All right. Well, uh, Gary Rosenfield of Aerotech and Quest, uh, thanks very much for joining us on the Model Rocket Show. Um, is there anything else you want to say? No, just uh, everybody stay safe and uh, get out there and fly some rockets in any way you can. We may uh, not have all the big organized launches, but you can have just as much fun at a smaller launch. And uh, I, I really do miss getting out there and seeing everybody. Um, it's been a tough year for us in not being able to travel and uh, go to launches because that's something I look forward to every year. So I, I do look forward to the next time I can get to see people and uh, get out there. Uh, we'll be at uh, Aeropack, uh, the aeronaut launch, uh, hopefully in July, at the end of July. Uh, I don't know which other events will be taking place this year, but uh, let's hope we can get we can all get through this and, and move on to better things. But uh, thanks for the opportunity to talk about uh, Aerotech and, and rocketry. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a lot. It's been a lot of fun, Gary. Thanks a lot. All right, everybody, that is your interview with Gary Rosenfield of Quest and Aerotech, and I hope you like the show. I am the Rocket Noob. If you want to contact me, you can send me an email, noob at themodelrocketshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Rocket Noob. My blog is rocketnoob.blogspot.com. I haven't written anything in a while because, you know, it takes a lot takes a lot of effort and I take a lot of pictures and I just haven't been, haven't been able to get to it. Um, but we're going to be back again in two weeks with another show. If you like the show, please share the podcast with friends. Let other people know we're out there. If you get a chance, please write us a review. Uh, it helps most if you can go to iTunes and write us a review there. But if you don't want to do that or you can't do that and you just have your, your, your basic podcasting app, whichever one you like, you can write us a review on there. It'll help people on that app find the show. Um, you can always support the show financially. If you like it, uh, you can go to The Rocketry Show's Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash The Rocketry Show. And... Chip in a couple of bunks a month there, uh, and that's a, that's that's a good way to support the show. But really, what we want you to do is just uh, spread the love and spread the show. Uh, I do have a, an idea for a show coming up sometime in the future that I'm kind of tinkering with, and I need your help. If you have a way that you spread the word. Uh, about model rocketry or a way that you have shared it with other people, any kind of way that you have, whether it's, whether it's like teaching a, a class or teaching a summer camp or doing a demo launch or, or something, maybe something a little more unconventional and a little sneaky to get somebody you think might be interested in the hobby into it, please send me an email, noob at themodelrocketshow.com. If you want to send me a voicemail, you can record it on your phone or whatever and email it to me there. And, uh, you know, if you want to put that on the show, that would be a lot of fun for me. Uh, but I'm, I'm looking for ways to get people involved in the hobby or ways to make people aware of the hobby. I'm talking about outreach ideas here. And I have some of my own, but I want to see if any of you have, uh, have unique ways that you've shared the hobby with others. All right, that's it for me. I'm the Rocket Noob. Thanks for checking out the Model Rocket Show at themodelrocketshow.com. This show is brought to you by the support of our sponsors and listeners. If you wish to support the show for just a few dollars a month, 
please become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash The Rocketry Show. Don't forget to check out our sister show, therocketryshow.com, a program that is all about advanced and high-power rocketry. The views and opinions expressed on these programs are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Little Beth Entertainment or its sponsors.